Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000. With your hosts, Evan. And this thing was easily three feet long. It's huge. And Carissa. That whole incident began with the phrase, hold my beer. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys. Hey everybody. This is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And we are the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than someone on that show finding Bigfoot finding anything. (laughs) But of course, obviously, we got to thank uh, Stitcher and Podbean and also the Tangent Bound Podcast Network for adding us to their awesome list of shows. Of course, you can always hear us on the Bearded Pods Network, beardedpodsnetwork.com, along with the Bearded Ones podcast and Teddy and the Bassman, and now Google Play, which is an awesome place to find a lot of podcasts, I think. And as always, if you listen to us through Bearded Pods, please support any of the other amateur podcasts on Tangent Pound or any other amateur podcast network out there because they all need your support and it's a great network of people out there and there's a lot of good content to find. So don't just stick to the big dogs. Give the small dogs a chance. Yeah, because the little dogs are cute and you can put them in your purse. Although personally, I prefer big dogs. Yeah, me too, but still. But as far as podcasts go, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go for a Shih Tzu. A Pomeranian. They're adorable. A Pomeranian, yeah. <laughs> the 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 dreaded Chihuahua. Wow. No. Even in podcast form, Chihuahua's not a good thing. No, not at all. <laughs> and today the subject is something that I think we both at least have a passing interest in, cryptozoology. But before we get to that, I think we should devote a little bit of time at least to our mutual love, I assume, or something that we both did this past weekend. We both saw Civil War. Now, I told you in conversation earlier that I absolutely loved it. I didn't actually get your opinion on it. It was very good. Yes. I don't know yet where I would place it in the whole MCU, but it was just so much fun. Like I liked Winter Soldier a lot. Without spoilers, Civil War definitely has a similar tone, but it's slightly more fun. Even though the trailers didn't sort of hint at that, but there are definitely segments of the movie that... Are more lighthearted. Not that Winter Soldier wasn't fun at all, but I would say Civil War is kind of like Winter Soldier with a bit more fun thrown in. It makes a nice dichotomy because you have some of the very lighthearted moments, which this isn't really a spoiler, Ant-Man's in it. Yeah. So you kind of expect that there's at least going to be a little bit of a swing toward happy-go-luckiness. Right. And there is, and not just because of Ant-Man, like, there's a good back and forth between the very serious subject matter. Yes. And these are just people, like, really deep down, they have people experiences in their people lives. Yes. And some of that was actually really just fun to watch. Yeah, and it wasn't like the Avengers where it was kind of like this was in a more lighthearted time in the MCU when everybody was cracking wise all the time. Right. And that's not a slam. I love the Avengers, but especially Tony Stark, you know, everything was an opportunity for a little verbal jab. And the world is different now. This is what I love about what they're doing with those movies is all these movies are the aftermaths of something. Yeah, they all follow. And that affects that affects the characters. Yes. As it should. So, you know what? Yeah, Tony Stark's in it, and he's great because we love Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark, but he's not the same Tony Stark for good reasons. If you've kept up with the solo Iron Man movies plus the Avengers movies, he's had some shit go down. 
that has affected him. And you see that, and that's what I love about it. And they manage all their characters really well. The action scenes are great, and it just it highly, highly, highly recommend it. As a and I posted on Facebook, and since you don't have Facebook, you didn't see it. No, but I basically said because uh, I took my daughter to see Batman v Superman the week before uh, Civil War, and all I could tell you is that Civil War does everything even though Leo Batman vs Superman is a very hated movie at best I thought it was okay but Civil War does everything the Batman v Superman tried to do it just does it so much better well yes because it succeeds yeah pretty much yeah yeah I mean there were moments of Batman v Superman that I liked that's not enough to justify two and a half hours of a lot of the shit in between that just doesn't either work or make any sense whatsoever yep and there's not a single moment of fun in <laughs> Batman v Superman. I would recommend that people go look up the Movie Bob review of Batman v Superman. It was very informative. Yeah, I haven't seen the Movie Bob review. I've seen a couple other reviews, and obviously I saw it because I do love the idea and I love the characters. And I'm not a Zack Snyder hater. I never have been, except for Sucker Punch, which was a piece of shit. I just I wanted to see it for myself and make my own opinion. And whoo boy. Yeah. Yeah, most of those guys are pretty right on. Yeah, that's kind of what I've heard a lot is everybody said it was going to be terrible, but I went to see it because I wanted to. And oh, my God, no. Yeah. Almost everyone I've listened to has said pretty much exactly that. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but a definite problem is the fact that what the Marvel Universe has been able to do is counter and take their heroes and situations seriously enough. But also remember that this is escapism and that there should be an element of fun to it. And just seeing people fight is not fun. Yeah. that's. What I guess they were thinking with is if the fights are big enough, then that'll be fun and everybody will have fun with that so they can get through the dirge and wade through all the sorrow and sadness and and just depression that everything else has in it. Although, I am excited for Affleck to direct his own Batman movie. Maybe. He's really good at Batman v Superman and he's a really good director, so. That's not my concern. My concern is DC and the studio because. If they're smart, they'll give him creative control. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. We both give a thumbs up to Civil War. Definitely, but let me ask you, because before it came out, there was, of course, Team Cat and Team Iron Man. Right. And you had to, before the movie came out, before you knew what the deal was and you hadn't seen it all, Uh huh. you had to pick a side. Yeah. Did you pick a side beforehand? In my, Mentally, yes. I don't know that I ever discussed it with anyone. What team were you on? Maybe I'm influenced by the fact that it is supposed to be his sequel, but I was kind of Team Cap all the way. Okay. And w- did that change after you saw the movie? No. However- what the movie does a really good job of is not making either one on either side an out-and-out villain. There is no black and white right or wrong. I think each person that voices why they're doing what they're doing, it makes sense. And when it comes right down to really the main conflict between the two characters, I didn't leave the theater going, oh, fuck that guy, as far as Iron Man was concerned or whatever other character was on Iron Man's side was concerned. I understood absolutely why he was doing what he was doing and it didn't make him a quote-unquote bad guy see i have a slightly different take on it i was team cap to begin with because as i have discussed before chris evans captain america is the best oh he's fantastic he's the best ever and it irritated me that iron man was all up in his face during the avengers movie right and so i was team cap beforehand and after watching the movie i asked my fellow moviegoers we were supposed to be rooting for cap right It wasn't just my bias going into it. The movie did slant it as being more Captain America favored. Right. It was not 
an unbiased across the table discussion. Like we were kind of supposed to lean toward Team Cap anyway. Oh, sure. They directed it in such a way that that was not blatantly obvious, but you were led to be more inclined to be on Cap's side. Yes. Not just because I was biased that way to begin with, but that was actually a thing that they did on purpose. But I disagree that it was like, I, I got it. I see where you're coming from. Like, I understood why Tony Stark did what he did. Yes. But he was still wrong, not just disagreeing, we're going to have to agree to disagree wrong, but he was actually objectively incorrect. And that made him the bad guy for me in this movie. Right. Well, this is where I come down. So you, so the movie didn't change your mind either. You didn't oh, no, switch sides. It, it very much solidified my team cap impression. Yeah. Well, and here's what I'll say. When I say, like, obviously, if you're going to take someone's side, that means you believe the other side is incorrect. However, like, if I'm talking to somebody about politics, for example, at this point in my life, if you're voting for Donald Trump, I just think you're wrong and wrong in an awful bad way. Because I don't see how anyone could sensibly do that. Now, if you have quibbles about other candidates, if you're having a political discussion, you say, well, I think this policy is better than that policy. I can disagree with you and go, but I respect your opinion and why you feel that way. Sure. Or I can see where you're coming from, so that doesn't make me think your opinion is just bullshit. I think anyone at this point who's voting for Trump, their opinion's kind of bullshit. <laughs> but I disagreed with Tony Stark, but there were definitely moments through the movie where I was like, but he's not being a bad dude. He's not, it's not so two-dimensional. And that, again, one of the things this movie does so much better than Batman versus Superman was you got why people were doing what they're doing. You didn't hate them for it. And you were like, yeah, I definitely see your point. Especially the fact that every personal decision you make can only be made based on your own experience. Yep, absolutely. And without giving any spoilers away, what Tony Stark's experience is, especially in this movie as well, makes you go, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, I get why he is doing what he's doing. He's just wrong. Right. But that doesn't make him a bad guy to me because Cap could be doing the wrong thing as well and still fighting for what he believes is right, just like Iron Man is doing. That's true, but he wasn't because he was correct. <laughs> I mean, that's what it all boiled down to for me is you're objectively wrong, Tony Stark. I mean, you have the right to be wrong all the time. You can just be wrong for your whole existence. And that's not a problem for anybody but you mm -hmm. until you make it someone else's problem. Right. And this isn't a spoiler because this is totally in the trailers. That's what he does. I'm wrong about something and I'm going to make everybody else follow along with me being wrong. Right. And Captain America says, but you're wrong and I'm not going to do that. I never got the impression that Tony Stark thought he was making a wrong call. No. It always brings up an interesting question, too, because there's a lot, especially in superhero comics and movies, about sometimes you just got to make what you think is the right decision, despite what everyone else thinks. And isn't that kind of what dictators do? Yeah. I mean, they're doing what they think is right, even when everyone else is telling them is wrong. And sometimes what they're doing is horrible. Everyone is the hero of their own story. Right. Everyone. And that goes probably double or more for actual heroes. Right. So if you're wrong as someone who is definitely the hero of his own story, you don't know that. You obviously think you're correct. No one chooses to do the wrong thing. Exactly. And the fact that you think you're right, I get. I get why you think your decisions are the correct ones. And I even see what led you to make those decisions. You're still incorrect. Right. And that's okay until you make it someone else's problem. And that's why, to me, Tony Stark never became a villain. It was just two ideologies clashing 
and they were both being heroes in that they were willing to fight for what they believed to be right, even if that meant fighting against each other. And so I never found him as a villain. I never hated Tony Stark throughout the whole movie. I understood why he was doing what he was doing. And if somebody came up to me and said they were on his side, I wouldn't fault them for it. I would. I I wouldn't, especially when you get... Because usually in any decision-making process, you don't get to see what led the person to make that decision. You just hear what their decision is. But it's like if I watch a debate... For the most part, if I go to see a debate team, now, you know, there are some debates like the fucking Bill Nye versus that creationist guy where, yeah, the creationist guy's a dickhead and a villain and I hated his guts. But for the most part, if you're in a debate, I'm just hearing each other's points and going, I side with this person more, but I don't hate the other person for being willing to go to bat for their ideals. Yeah, the point of going to bat for your ideas is fine. Again, even if they're wrong, don't care until you try to force other people to do what you want them to do based on your wrong decisions, then I have a problem with you. Right. But I think the movie framed everything in a way that I think Tony Stark really honestly felt like he had no other option. It's like we're either all on board or we have to take action. I agree. I agree that they framed that correctly. It's hard to give an, a spoiler-free review. It really is. Review. It's not a perfect film, but no, the quibbles no, no. I had with it are so small. And, you know, yes, that whole fight scene that has been teased in the trailer even if the rest of the movie did suck the all the heroes in fight scene was so worth it it was very well done it was so fun and that's where to me a lot of the fun comes in is just that sequence you're just like yeah this is me playing with my toys on the floor when i was 10 and i love every second of it (laughs) so anyway if you haven't yet go see civil war definitely and if you haven't seen the movies that came before it go see them first yeah, and I don't know, I mean, definitely, because I have seen all those movies now, I guess I, it's bad for me to say, because I really honestly don't know, but I also kind of feel like you could go see this movie and really not have seen the other ones and get what's going on. You just wouldn't have the emotional attachment to the characters that you needed to have to give a shit. Correct. It would still be a very enjoyable summer blockbuster sort Absolutely. of, you know, superhero action movie, and they there's no shortage of that. Right. Of the huge action sequences and stuff, there's no shortage of that at all. Right. But if you haven't seen the stuff that came before it, you are missing out on the character aspects that make the not-fight scenes worth watching. Right. Whereas we're kind of living in what I think is a bit of a beautiful time with sequels, where it's kind of like a lot of series now depend on the audience seeing the movies that came beforehand and aren't really going to help you along if you haven't. They're just like, fuck you, we don't want need to waste the time reestablishing all this or giving you any sort of back plot. If you're seeing the sixth Harry Potter movie, we assume you've seen the first five. Yeah. And with a series like that, if you haven't seen the first five, don't even bother. Yeah. Because you're not going to know what the fuck is going on. But with this one, it definitely enriches the universe to have seen all the other movies, but it's not absolutely necessary. Yeah, I don't think you could have enjoyed Winter Soldier without seeing Captain America. Right. And I don't think you could enjoy Iron Man 3 without seeing 1 and 2. Right. And I don't think you would enjoy Age of Ultron without seeing Avengers as much. Right. But this one could honestly stand alone. Seeing the Avengers would probably have been helpful. Oh, absolutely. But other than that, I think you probably could have missed all the others. And still come away with an enjoyable movie that had its own internal premise that did not rely on the previous movies to set it up. Yes. All the exposition, which was very brief, which I appreciated, was very brief. (laughs) Right. And right up front, it was like, here's what's going on and go. Right. 
here's what's going on. Here's what you need to know from what happened before. Exactly. And the characters are internally consistent and they continue doing exactly what they've been doing for the past 18,000 movies. And even if you haven't seen those, that at least carries through because you can see them now. Wherein I know like that Joss Whedon has been quoted as feeling the weight of the whole Marvel universe by the time he directed Age of Ultron. And that's kind of what stopped him from continuing. It's like he wanted to tell a standalone story. But he also felt the pressure to make sure to hint at things to come and to acknowledge things that happened before. And that wasn't what he wanted to do. However, it's a real testament to the universe that this cinematic universe that they've constructed in that you've got so many different movies directed and written by so many different people. And they've kept things as consistent character wise as they have. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty insane that they've been able to make these movies as good as they have. And the characters as good as they have with so many people having so many different hands in the pot. Yep. Somebody at Marvel Studios is doing it so well. And that's just yet another reason why the, I, th- I honestly do think the DC movie universe is in big trouble. Oh, it is. They are way too late to this party. Oh, my God, yes. And they're coming in drunk already. And they're trying to make a scene so that everybody thinks they've been there the whole time. Right. No, you're too late to this party. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about this for 15 minutes. And we can't talk about it anymore without spoiling anything. So We both love it, enjoy it, and go see it. Yeah, absolutely. So cryptozoology. Yeah, it's fun. Do we want to define it? Cryptozoology is the study? Here's the thing. I'm going to be very generous with all of my discussion here. Yeah. Cryptozoology is the study of hidden or unknown animals. Yes. It is a pseudoscience. Yes. So it's not real, technically. Right. Like, you can just be a cryptozoologist. Like, oh, hey, right. I'm a cryptozoologist. Well, and that's one of the reasons I started the podcast like I did. The guys hunting for Bigfoot could literally call themselves cryptozoologists. Yes, and they do. That's where it kind of gets mocked and made fun of because people are hunting for things that in all likelihood don't exist. Correct. Although I think we've both said before, if we're going to believe any of those mythological creatures, Bigfoot's probably the one because I think there's a stronger possibility than something like the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. But you're spending a lot of time searching for something that you really have no right to believe even exists. And cryptozoology, the search for cryptids, which are unknown or hidden animals, cryptids come in many forms. And some of them are species that are supposed to be extinct, but for whatever reason, there is a belief that there are some extant versions of that species. Yeah, and this, correct me if I'm wrong, is kind of where we get into the actual scientific validity of it because that happens a decent amount where we find something that we thought was extinct. Eh, It actually doesn't happen a decent amount. It's happened a couple times. Comparatively speaking to what you would think. I mean, especially when you get into the, the oceans and how many animals. It seems like every time we hear about them finding an animal they thought was long extinct, it's always a fish that was just like a mile deeper down than they thought it might be. And so they find it and they're like, oh, fuck, we thought this thing's been gone for a million years and here it is right here. The Discovery Channel got in trouble during Shark Week a couple of years ago because their whole first day of Shark Week was a big thing about how Megalodon still exists. Ugh, I'm still pissed about that. And it was a pretty dumb thing to do and it was a pretty poorly done show. Well, here's my issue with that because I got very excited about it and watched it and it was total fiction. Yes. And... The problem isn't that they decided to do that. The problem is that they tried to play it as if it was real. If you're sci-fi, you can get away with a mockumentary about a megalodon. If you're a channel that is known for actually teaching 
then you really shouldn't attempt a mockumentary without at least saying beforehand, this is just our interpretation of what it might be like if we were to discover one. These are extinct. Don't get us wrong. Yeah. But they played it as real as they could. They played it straight. They played it very War of the Worlds. And I remember watching it and going, the only thing that ever sort of lit my fuse as to this might not be real is a couple of the oceanographers they interviewed. I was like, these people are too attractive to be scientists. Something's (laughs) wrong. And they got in trouble for that, and they should have. Because it's Shark Week. This is not the time for that. I mean, Mm -mm. even on Discovery in general is kind of not the time for that. But whatever. If you want to make up a little mockumentary thing, fine. It's your show or it's your television station. You do whatever you want. But honestly, Shark Week is not the time to be doing that because people that watch Shark Week don't watch it for crap. Right. And that was a problem. And didn't they do the same thing with mermaids? I don't think so. Someone did a mermaid mockumentary very similar to that Megalodon mockumentary about some footage that they think proved the existence of mermaids. And it was the most obviously CG thing I've ever seen. But also, like, I remember thinking the same thing that from it's coming from this channel. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, that's bullshit. (laughs) But Megalodon would be if anyone actually thought that it still existed anywhere. And there probably are some people who think Megalodon still exists somewhere. Uh, There have to be. That would be a cryptid, though acceptedly not, because pretty much no one thinks there's a Megalodon anywhere at all, because that's ridiculous. Somebody does, though. As you just said, someone does. Somebody does, but really pretty much not. However, cryptozoology, as we understand it generously, hasn't been 100% fraudulent. No. If we can put it that way. Because we have real, living, extant species that were once thought to be either mythical, hoaxes, or simply non-existent. Right. And that's the problem, too, in a way, is that that happens so rarely, but every time it does happen, the people that are still searching for Bigfoot or searching for Megalodon go, yeah, but that thing. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah, but that happened once out of a hundred. Yeah, but that thing. Do you want to do that first up top? Just the stuff that really exists that we know of yeah. that was once thought to be mythical or yeah, non-existent? Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Okay. I have 10 species that were once thought to be mythical or non-existent that were proven to be actual living creatures that exist still to this day. Excellent. Let's just start at the top. Yeah, let's do it. The first and probably most well-known former cryptid is the platypus. Yes. Because it's a duck mole beaver (laughs) and everyone thought it was a hoax for a long time as you know logically i would have thought it was too without yes because it's an egg-laying venomous duck mole beaver and that's not a real thing and now i really wish they just would have called it duck mole beaver duck mole beaver yeah and no one for the very longest time believed that it existed people had encounters with them and would report them much like for example bigfoot (laughs) right And would draw pictures of them and explain what they looked like and how they behaved. And everyone was like, yeah, that's a bunch of crap. Someone caught a platypus. It either died or they killed it and brought it in. And I was like, here's the platypus. And they were like, you clearly just stuck a duck foot on this mole. Right. And have brought in this weird mangled corpse. That's not a real thing. For a very long time, that was assumed to just be either non-existent or a hoax. But as we all very well know now, the platypus is in fact a real thing. It is yes. an egg-laying venomous mammal. We know that. And at one time, that was not believed to be true. Right. So that's probably the most famous that everybody knows. Platypus wasn't a thing, except obviously totally was. And again, that's where all those people go to when you tell them that they're wasting their time. 
Yeah, but yes. platypus. Yep. It's like, I believe in robot shark. Well, that's dumb. Yeah, but megalodon, platypus. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, platypus. And it's hard to to tell those people, any of those people, yeah, but that was a that was platypus. Because yeah. seriously, he's an egg-laying venomous mammal Yeah. that looks like a beaver duck mole or whatever. So your slightly humanoid primate living in the Himalayas doesn't sound quite as crazy as the egg-laying venomous mammal that looks like a beaver duck mole. Right. I prefer duck mole beaver, by the way. Duck mole beaver. Sorry. All right. So the second one is the okapi. Do you know about the okapi? Uh, I read a little bit while I was doing the apparently exact same research that you were doing. (laughs) But uh, remind me and our listeners. Okay. The okapi is a zebra deer. Yes. And it's most closely related to the giraffe, but it is really more like a zebra deer. Yeah. It's relatively small. It's like five feet tall, the shoulder or something, and eight feet long. So, you know, elk-sized, give or take. And here's the first hint to me that that was a real thing, that they should have just accepted that that was a real thing. Because zebra deer is way less fantastical than duck bull beaver, Loch Ness Monster, or Bigfoot. So somebody says, I saw a giant ape man in the woods. You're like, oh, fuck you. You're making that up. If somebody says, I saw something that kind of looked like a deer, but also kind of looked like a zebra. You should be like, oh, we're checking that shit out because nobody made that up because it's just boring by comparison. Yeah. But because no one had seen one except the, you know, natives in that area. And that area is the Republic of Congo. And they only come out for a couple hours at night. They're solitary. And very few people ever saw one. The ones that did were all natives, who, of course, in terms of Western science for the very longest time, don't count. Right. Like, your, you know, tribal stories of zebra deer (laughs) aren't a thing that science recognizes. Yeah, because it doesn't, like, eat people either. So that's not really a campfire tale you're making up to try and scare kids. Yeah. You know, you just say, yeah, I saw a zebra deer. Is that the whole story? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, basically. And that's the other thing, too. I think you described perfectly what still feeds people's imaginations is it is so it is such a believable thing to go it's a solitary creature that is very shy and and nocturnal so many animals are so better at keeping themselves out of our sight than we think yeah and especially solitary nocturnal ones we're surrounded by them all the time of course usually the ones that we are very aware of but how many times do you think you've walked into your house with a possum right next to you or an owl in a tree staring at you and Animals are just so good at getting the fuck out of our way. Yeah. That it is totally plausible that a solitary nocturnal animal, regardless of size, unless it was, you know, like troll hunter size or something like that, could easily keep itself out of our way because we're not looking for them. Well, yeah. And think about it because you're talking about walking up to your house in suburbia. Right. Near animals you don't see or know are there. This is the Congo. Right. Exactly. There's nothing there. There's so much nothing. It's grassland, it's trees, it's areas of space that are just nothing. I mean, nothing human, nothing. Right. No civilization, no settlement, no nothing. It's just nature. There are people in the Amazon that swear up and down they have seen a spider the size of a small dog. Yeah. And not, you know, the the Goliath spider who is said to be about the size of a puppy. I mean, bigger than that. Yeah. A spider big enough to easily carry off a human being. Yeah, and also, fuck that. Uh, Yeah, and it's always easy to go, oh, that's bullshit. But spiders are fantastic at hiding, even big ones. Yeah. So who's to say? And the okapi had been talked about for a really long time because, of course, 18th and 19th century explorers and adventurers would go to Africa, the dark continent, to find just stuff. Yeah. Animals and 
game and whatever, they would go there specifically looking for, they didn't call them this then, but looking for cryptids, usually to kill, but sometimes right. to study. And they knew about this zebra deer, the Okapi, for a really long time, but thought it was a myth. Right. And it was actually discovered in 1901, which was several hundred years after reports of it had come out. So it was a cryptid until 1901 when it was discovered to be real. It had been called the African Unicorn. Ooh. Even though it doesn't look anything like a unicorn. Right. Nothing like one. They were just trying to give it some mystique because it's still not that that crazy to think about, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a deer with some stripes. Yeah. Ooh. And I mean, it's like this dark, dark reddish colored coat, I guess. And then its yeah. hind legs and butt are zebra striped. Right. And that's it. I mean, it's just a zebra deer. <laughs> this is they just need to go ahead and call all these fuck the scientific latin you know latin rooted names just call them what they are it's it's duck mole beaver and it's zebra deer okay duck mole beaver zebra deer the komodo dragon is another one yes that surprised me but when you really stop to think about it it kind of doesn't because someone tried to describe one to you and you'd never seen one before a it sounds terrifying well yeah and b well, it just sounds terrifying, <laughs> so automatically it fires your imagination, but then your common sense kicks in and goes, well, that's just some creature made up to scare people. Right, because in the early 1900s, giant lizards weren't a thing, according to Western science. Right. Just, they didn't exist anymore. They had been around when megafauna were around, and then they just weren't. But in Indonesia, they continued to get reports from Indonesia about these huge, or they land crocodiles, and... Lots of people just didn't take them seriously at all. But in 1926, the American Museum of Natural History sent an expedition to Indonesia and brought back 14 specimens of the Komodo dragon. Wow. Which is basically just a monitor lizard, except they grow up to 10 feet or more. Oh, they're huge. Which, um, yes, they're absolutely gigantic for a lizard. Because we think lizard, we think, you know, lizard. Maybe... Yeah. One of those lizards that's like a foot long yeah. that some people keep that live for a really long time. You but know, that's iguanas, kind of it. You know, they're they're kind of big. Yeah. But that's basically it. No, no. These things are like the size of your bed. And that is inherently terrifying. Yes, absolutely. So I think automatically when you hear a story like that, that makes so much sense to me that that was sort of just a thing of legend than the zebra deer. Because zebra deer is just kind of a, oh, it sounds okay, I guess. Yeah, like zebra's kind of like a horse, deer's kind of like a horse. Maybe they got together and boned another zebra deer. Cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get it. It doesn't have a mystique around it. But then someone right. tells you there's a giant fucking lizard out there. No, no. Like a huge fucking lizard. Then automatically, it automatically, I think, signals something in your brain that goes, that's an awesome story, but it can't possibly be true. And lo and behold, fuck yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. This giant lizard. Have you ever seen one up close? Like at a zoo or something? Yes. Mm-hmm. They're giant. They're amazing. And terrifying. Oh, I definitely wouldn't want to stumble across one in the Hell wild. Hell no. No, no. That would be terrible. Because <laughs> you would die. Because it can easily kill a human being. Oh, yeah. Like, that's how big it is. It would have no trouble. It will eat water buffalo. Water buffalo. Yeah, and their bites, even if you survive, are really renowned for their infectious qualities. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, you're fucked. Yeah, the, you're absolutely screwed. Uh, the next one, after the Komodo dragon, is the mountain gorilla. Ah, yes. The gorilla. The gorilla, like, that we know. <laughs> the mountain gorilla. Again, anybody looking for Bigfoot can just point directly to the mountain gorilla. Go, well, yeah, but mountain gorilla. Kind of. Because until, what was it, the mid-1900s, the mountain gorilla wasn't a thing. Right. I think that was when it was. Maybe it was the early 1900s. 
And then we didn't actually get the study until the mid-1900s. I think that's what it was. And didn't get anything super specific until Diane Fossey went out there. Right. But we didn't even know they existed until 110 years ago or something. Right. But people would constantly talk about them. People, natives, explorers that went there would come back, would report, hey, there are these ape things. And science basically said, no, there aren't. Yeah. Except, yeah, there totally were. Except, yeah, there were. And the mountain gorilla is an actual thing. It still exists today. And 110 years ago, science said it was crap. Okay, so after the mountain gorilla, also the giant squid. Yes. Now that, I think I shared this on the bearded ones. I don't know if I ever showed you, but you've probably seen it. The best footage they found so far of a giant squid, some Russian fishing ship. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is the stuff of nightmares. Yes. It's very it's very large. <laughs> and like the also the root of so many other mythological creatures that definitely don't exist. You know, there is no kraken, but goddamn, I can totally understand someone seeing a giant squid and just thinking, this is a monster. That's a kraken. <laughs> yes. Because it is. It is an absolute monster. Oh, it it's is. gigantic. It's what, 40... 45 feet long or something? At least. And then the bigger ones, the because the, there's two real different types of really well-known squid, and one of them has sort of the skinnier, longer head, and then the other has the wider, like more bulbous. The colossal squid. The colossal squid, yes. Yeah. And oh, they're just terrifying. They are. They're absolutely Fuck terrifying. the ocean. Just fuck it. <laughs> the colossal squid has the big, like, spoon leafy sort of yes. tail head thing, and the giant squid is the one... With the extra super freaky long tentacles. Yeah, you're fucked either way. Oh, God, yeah. If they want to eat you, you get eaten. Yeah. And it wasn't actually discovered as real until 2004. And I remember as a kid watching 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and thinking the whole section with a giant squid was kind of dumb. And then they sort of redid that in that movie Sphere, which I honestly think is a little bit of an underrated movie. Mm -hmm. And that section of that movie is terrifying. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Samuel L. Jackson reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and everything yep. they imagine is coming to life and you never see the squid, but you know it's outside. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. They're so huge. And of course, we're afraid of the ocean and we've discussed this before. Yes. For good reason. Yeah. We're not dumb. We're not paranoid. And the giant and colossal squids are one and two of those reasons. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, fuck the ocean. Ugh. Yeah. I'm glad we have much. it, but fuck it. And honestly, to me, that's where any like actual extant species of current cryptid will come from, Absolutely. is the ocean. Because, yes, there's a lot of territory on land that we still can't really get to that's too remote, that's too hazardous, that's something that could very well house species we Absolutely. think aren't in, real. In our lifetimes, we're going to discover so many of those species there. But usually it's going to be some kind of insect yeah. or some much smaller animal that is pretty close to something we already have. Yep. But any creature that might be slightly mythical or potentially possibly extinct, but we discover isn't, that's all going to come from the water. Yeah. Because those remote areas on land are remote, maybe hazardous, but they're still explorable in some manner. Right. The ocean is still not. We just discovered a new kind of jellyfish the other day. Did you see that? Yes. It's gorgeous, gorgeous creature. It was the little slightly boxy one. Yeah, and it's one of the animals that's so deep they have their own sort of fluorescent yeah. light. And it's just, I saw it, somebody took video of it, and it's just gorgeous. But it just goes to show you, like, shit just gets weirder and weirder the deeper you go. 
and probably more dangerous because have you ever seen a colossal jellyfish? Oh my God. And if you run into one of those, you're kind of fucked. Yeah, totally. So the ocean, yeah, fuck it. I mean, it's fascinating to watch, but oh, oh. But yeah, giant squid, one of the most terrifying things you'll ever see. And there's one, I know they have one at the Smithsonian that I want to get to the Smithsonian and see it. It's not nearly as big as the ones we've captured on a film now, but it's it's big and it's there and it's terrifying. Yes. Uh, the last one that's pretty common that everybody knows about and is a kind of pseudo former cryptid is the kangaroo. Yeah. Because explorers and natives knew of them, but no one believed that this horse-faced bipedal thing that jumped like a frog. Right. And when it was first described, it was described as having two heads, one on top of its body and one in its stomach. Right. Because, of course, kangaroos carry joeys in their pouches. Right. But if you're just looking at one and you don't know what you're looking at and you see one head on top right. where a head is supposed to be, but then there's another face that's very clearly a face right right in the middle where faces don't go, that's how you're going to describe it, even though you're wrong. It would be like an alien landing and seeing a human being for the first time that just happened to be a pregnant woman in the middle of a C-section. Yes, a lot like that. And they're just like, oh, fuck, they got heads on their bellies. Yeah. And it was, of course, discovered pretty quickly that, yes, kangaroos actually do exist. They are a thing. They don't have two faces. But for a while, at least, kangaroos were thought to be mythical as well. Right. Then there are the last couple that are are slightly weirder or that not everybody knows about now that I like. Okay. Uh, The first is the devil bird of Sri Lanka. Ah, yes. I've heard of this. It's pretty cool. It's an owl. It's a spot-bellied eagle owl that comes from Sri Lanka. Basically, it's just an owl. It comes out at night, and it has these... It's The sound that it emits is described as a blood-curdling human shriek. Yeah. Which, of course, would be terrifying if it's just coming from the woods at night, and then there's just this woman screaming. Yeah. <laughs> like, just all the time. And so you can hear them frequently, apparently. Also gives lazy people in bad neighborhoods an excuse not to do anything. Yes, yes, Is that a does. woman? Ah, it's just an eagle owl. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure she's screaming, help, help. Yeah, that's the no, mating no, call. No, no, that's an eagle owl. Yeah, that's the sound they make. I heard gunshots. That's how they poop. It is the largest of all the owls on Sri Lanka. It's, of course, nocturnal like most owls and doesn't come out much, though you can apparently hear it quite frequently. And because all of the evidence to it was just circumstantial natives talking about the shrieking devil bird mm-hmm. for the longest time, Western science just said it was superstition. And then it was actually identified in 2001. Oh, let's see. Then the Bondigezu. I think I'm mispronouncing it. Yeah, never heard of that one. It is also from Indonesia. Lots of cryptids from Indonesia, actually. Or former cryptids, I think I should probably say. Yeah. Maybe current cryptids, I don't know. There might very well still be stuff in Indonesia that people say is there that no one's proven. But he was called the Man of the Forest, the Bondigezu, or however you would actually pronounce that. (laughs) It was described as a tree-dwelling small man with black and white fur. That stands bipedally, but climbs and lives in trees. And for the longest time, that was just a myth. Just a myth of a little pygmy man with fur in the trees. Right. But there was a picture taken of one in the 1980s, and a survey of the area in 94 discovered that that was... They discovered it for science. Science! Obviously. Other people knew that it had been there the whole time, but science discovered it for the first time in the 90s, and called it the Dingizo. And he's a tree kangaroo. And tree kangaroos are a thing that we know about. This is just a different species of tree kangaroo. And they are also relatively solitary, very reclusive. They don't come out 
much. And apparently they don't even have any in captivity anywhere. Yeah. They have tree kangaroos in captivity, but not this particular species, the dinghy. So, and really there are only a couple pictures of them. They're proven to exist. They're actual extant species. But until the 90s, it was assumed to just be a myth. So I like that one. Yeah, it's really cool. And let's see. Oh, the we were talking earlier about species like Megalodon that we thought were extinct mm -hmm. and how species that turn out to not be extinct also count as cryptids, if you think that they're not extinct anyway. We actually have one of those, the colacanth. Yes, I have heard of this one. It is a basically a living fossil of a fish. Yeah. And for over more than 100 years, it's been, it was proclaimed the colacanth had been a fish. We have fossil records of it. It was in the oceans when it was living with the dinosaurs, and then it died. And there aren't any more, except there are. They still exist. And they're pretty cool looking fish, actually, as fish go. They look like living fossil fish, which is neat. But until pretty recently, they assumed that they'd all died out with the rest of the dinosaurs. Yeah, and that's that's the fascinating thing. Not to shit on the zebra deer, <laughs> but, you know, if someone tells you, I've seen the zebra deer, you've already got a picture that's probably going to be close to accurate in your head. With these sort of creatures, again, fuck the ocean, but it's still fascinating. The further we get down, the more that we see, the more that we're going to find. And there are definitely, definitely things in there that we've assumed has been gone for a long time. I mean, if you've ever seen a fucking oarfish, that is the most prehistoric looking thing you'll ever see in your life. Oarfish are pretty prehistoric. It's the goblin shark that is the worst for me. Oh, goblin sharks are terrifying looking, but fascinating to watch because I'm not swimming alongside one. Yeah. And you run into this stuff all the time. And that's why, like, you always find this stuff in the oceans. We're always discovering new things in the oceans. And again, we're going to discover so much more on land, but it's you almost always a slight deviation from something we already are very familiar with. It's hard for me to get excited when they get a, when they make finding a new moth species a big deal. Yeah. But it's pretty easy to get excited about something that's like, hey, this isn't actually dead. Right. Like, this is living. It's basically a dinosaur. Yeah. It's still here. Yeah. I mean, alligators are dinosaurs. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I mean, the closest we can get to actually seeing, like, fuck, this is what they looked like when they were roaming the earth. And we've known that alligators and crocodiles and sharks, for that matter, are they're the, they are what they have always been. Yes. Basically, throughout all of history since that species became the species. Right. It's been exactly like this for millions of years. Maybe just slightly smaller. Or bigger, depending on which species you're talking about. Right. But we've known that. We knew that they had been just, they just continued living. They were like, right. oh, all the other dinosaurs died? Yeah, we don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> we got that. We're, we're good. We never did just rediscover the alligator. Right. Like, yeah, the alligator, we know all about them. Holy shit, there's one right now. That would be like finding a fucking Tyrannosaurus Rex somewhere. Well, I think I mentioned this on one of our podcasts not that long ago, but I remember being fascinated by a Mysteries of the Unknown book that swore up and down there were people sighting pterodactyls in Texas in the early 80s. Oh, right. And as a kid, that captured my imagination. And I was so fascinated by it. Now I do think it's ridiculous and silly. And if there were pterodactyls in Texas, we would yeah. know by now. Yeah. But the the thing that continues to capture people's minds about cryptozoology is that you never know. You can never be 100% sure that these things don't exist. You could be like 99.9% .9 sure. Yes, absolutely. I'm 99.9% .9 sure that no, there are no pterodactyls in Texas. In Texas, yeah. 
However, Texas is a big place. It is a big place. <laughs> Lots of open area. So the last one on my list of former cryptids is actually only kind of, he's a pseudo cryptid. The Billy Ape, or probably Billy Ape. It's the mystery ape, the Bondo mystery ape, which are large chimpanzees in the Billy Forest in the Congo. Oh, okay, yeah. What makes them pseudo cryptids is that mostly because of a civil war, we haven't been able to discover them since, or like really study them since they were mostly discovered. Yeah. And that was only in 1996. Yeah. And again, I could, I could totally see somebody coming to someone and going, dude, I found an ape out there. And then describing it and having someone go, oh, that's a chimp. We already know what those are. And the National Geographic says that this is the quote, the apes nest on the ground like gorillas, but they have a diet and features characteristic of chimpanzees. So they're chimp gorillas, gorilla chimps. Right. Which is weird. There, there are no other gorilla chimps. Right. They didn't know that those existed because they couldn't get to that area for a long time. Because, of course, the Congo is kind of the very center of the dark continent of exploration that yes. has fascinated explorers for hundreds of years. Yes. And those small pockets of animal civilizations are just hard to get to, like really hard for us to get to. Yeah. So it's not at all unheard of to think that there are subspecies of some kind of animal or another that we just haven't seen yet. I mean, I think we're all forgetting about the most famous cryptid from the Congo, which would be Robot Ape, uh, who I think was found by Ernie Hudson. Yes, Robot Ape. You're right, I had forgotten about that. That is a reference to the movie Congo. Yeah. Anyway. So those are my former cryptids that I really like, and I wanted to start off with those because, of course, cryptozoology is a pseudoscience. It's not It's not real, and most people who would consider themselves cryptozoologists are the ones who search for Nessie and believe in the Yeti and right. look for the really weird, myth, like actual mythological sorts of creatures like Mothman and the Chupacabra. Yes. Stuff that stretches common sense. It does stretch the bounds of credulity, but they are believers in that for whatever reason, and they like to point to the platypus. And the fun thing about cryptozoology, to be totally honest, if someone wants to waste all their time looking for Bigfoot, I yeah. don't fault them at all. They're not whatever. hurting anyone. They're doing what they want to do, and it's easy to make fun of them until somebody fucking finds him one day. Yeah, and seriously, we're talking about the duck mole beaver. Right. And... The, what is it, the horseman that jumps like a frog and has two faces, and the zebra deer. Yeah, the lizard man. We got a lizard man just around here. Yeah, I was actually going to get to the lizard man. Oh, well, do tell. Okay, since we've talked about the things that turned out to actually be real, so that we can upfront say that cryptozoology isn't always totally kooky. Right. Sometimes it is totally kooky, like in the instance of the lizard man of Scare or Swamp. Yes. The Lizard Man of Lee County. Yes. Or the Lizard Man of Bishopville. Right. All, all the same Lizard Man. Yeah, I'm sure. He's retired. He's got an RV and he's just tooling around. And he's like, God damn it. Why can't I just go anywhere and have somebody not point at me and yell? I just want to hang. So the Lizard Man was first discovered, if it could be said. Quote unquote. Discovered. To have been discovered in 1988 by a teenager who had to change out his tire on the side of the road in Lee County, South Carolina. And he described an encounter with something. From about 25 yards away, he saw red eyes glowing. And as he got into the car and locked the door, the thing <laughs> grabbed the door handle with three big fingers with long black nails and green rough skin. And it was strong and angry. And a claw for a hand. Yeah. And it apparently jumped on the roof of his car. And then it tried to 
curl its hand around the roof, apparently. And then the, the kid sped up and swerved to shake him off. Right. And apparently the car in question did have some sort of mauling type damage done to it. Like his mirror was broken and there were some scratches on the side of the car. Right. And then it happened again where someone else came out to see their car had been mauled like by an animal. Right. As if something had been chewing on it, on their vehicle, but like something big. Not like a kitten or whatever right. was chewing on the antenna. <laughs> Look, I'd be afraid of the kitten that could leave marks on the roof of a car. Yeah, right? Like something was trying to eat the bumper. And apparently while the sheriff's department was investigating the second car mauling, which looked like it had been attempted to be eaten by an animal of some kind, mm-hmm. other people in the Browntown community, where they were, had been seeing a strange creature about seven feet tall with red eyes. who all thought it might be responsible for what happened to the car. And so for a while, it was kind of a big thing. And people were like, oh, it's the lizard man. Because he was apparently bipedal and he ran and he had like a tail. Mm -hmm. And he ate cars, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, or at least tried to. And that happened a couple times. Like some people reported seeing something about approximately fitting that description near them, running toward them, trying to eat their car, stuff like that. And then all reports of it just died. Nobody talked about it for forever forever being like 15 years or something. (laughs) That's the government. They didn't want people to know. And then last year in 2015. What? A woman going by the name of Sarah claimed to have taken one picture of the lizard man with her phone because she saw him after she left church on a Sunday morning. I will definitely post the link to that picture. Oh, yeah, please do. Let me pull it up and send it to you. Is it convincing in any way, shape, or form? I'm going to link it to you first so so you can see it. (laughs) You're kidding. No, that's the picture she took. I'm not going to say it's a hoax. (laughs) I'm going to say I also saw the lizard man in an episode of Power Rangers, (laughs) so he must have a good agent. Yeah, that is so ridiculous. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that she honestly saw that she honestly took that picture i would believe her no problem but that is a picture of someone in a really crappy costume oh yeah like without That's not a doubt a picture of a real thing it's a real picture of a fake thing it's the gorn from that episode of star trek that yes kirk had to fight yes it's so bad it's just made of crappy foam with yeah. duct tape and, spray and it just looks like so he's bad. up for a stroll yeah like yeah, it was really, really dumb. Who's the man? So, Lizard man. Do, 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 do. And then very shortly after that picture came out, another man said that he took a video of the Lizard Man Ooh. earlier in that year, 2015. It's still around the myth, the legend, yes. if you will, of the Lizard Man of Bishopville is still around. And that's, to me, pretty hilarious. That's pretty funny. In fact, I have one thing that I think is kind of cute, too, that I did find in my research in a similar way, you know, because I don't really honestly believe that Bigfoot exists. I think there could be something out there that we haven't found yet. I don't know. But, um, God, people love still hunting for it. And that obviously has spawned a bunch of people just like that picture of the lizard man who have decided to be imitators. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's dangerous business. Uh, This article... From weirdthings.com, man dies imitating Bigfoot. 
<laughs> 44-year-old Randy Lee Tenley of Montana was struck dead when he was hit by two oncoming vehicles as he attempted to cross several lanes of traffic dressed like more like a topiary at a bankrupt garden attraction than Bigfoot in hopes he'd stir up some sightings of the infamously mysterious legend. Police are continuing their investigation to see if alcohol played a role in the incident. Yes. I want to send you this because I hit this. You want to talk about a shitty looking costume. He looks like Swamp Thing without a face. <gasps> oh, my God. Do you see it? He just stuck a bunch of moss and shit <laughs> yeah, on Yeah, he head. just looks like a big... He looks like he should be sitting at the base of a tree. Maybe he could fool people that way. Yes, that whole incident began with the phrase, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. Wow. But if for the people that are sincere about it, the people that are sincere about Nessie, you know what? You guys go do it. Because anytime a story about you guys pops up, I will watch it. I never did watch Finding Bigfoot because nothing ever happened. Just like I don't watch Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures because nothing ever happens. But you know what? Those people are going to be the smart ones one day when they finally find proof positive that these things do exist. And I kind of hope they do. I, I would love to know that it's out there. I mean... I don't go out into the woods as much, just like I don't go into the ocean much. So, great. Let there be some Bigfoots out there. Sure. Or Big Feet, or whatever the fuck you're Big supposed feet. to call it. Yeah. I was talking to Kay about our doing a thing about cryptozoology, mm -hmm. and he said, oh, you should talk about my favorite cryptid. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I said that I would totally do that. Of course. His favorite cryptid is the Mongolian death worm. The death worm. I don't know this one. Yeah. The Mongolian death worm. It is... Pretty hilarious, actually. It's a creature alleged to exist in the Gobi Desert and is described as a bright red worm about a meter in length. Oh, my God. And it is blood-sucking and venomous. The Mongolians believe that touching any part of it will cause instant death or tremendous pain, and it would frequently prey on camels and lay eggs in the camel intestines. Its venom supposedly corrodes metal. Wow. And apparently it has a predilection for the color yellow. Okay. Now you're losing me. <laughs> All that made perfect sense until you tell me that it likes yellow. They're between two and five feet long and thick, and they look like the drawings of them or whatever look like giant leeches. Basically. Oh, they look. Ter I'm looking at them now. They look terrified. Yeah. They look like the dune worms a little. Yes, that is exactly what they look like. And in the early 1990s, there was an ex expedition out into the Gobi Desert to search for it, and inspired by dune, they had a motor-driven thumper. Oh no way! That they used to thump on the ground because that's how you brought the sandworms up in dune that's funny yeah but that's just a myth in that area the natives there believe that this worm exists but see that for the most part i could buy that maybe not two or three feet long but even you know uh, there are definitely things out there that you know did, did you ever see the video i think it came out last year of like one of those giant salamanders in china giant across the road where they had dammed off some of the water reserves. Yeah. And somebody filmed it. This wasn't, this. they just filmed it crossing to get to the other, you know, the other river where it could mate or whatever. I don't know. And this thing was easily three feet long. It's huge. Yeah. So you tell me that there's a two to three foot long worm out there that has venom and will bite you. I buy that 100%. And you're talking about the Gobi Desert. Talk about one of the most remote and inhospitable places on the planet. That's, that's up there. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. Predilection for the color yellow, I don't know. <laughs> that it can spit venom or maybe has some kind of electric discharge or yeah. something. Like some of the more fanciful stories about what it can do or what it is made of or whatever are, you know, the things that come up around mythical creatures. Yes. 
But if you tell me that there's some kind of venomous worm that lives in the Gobi Desert, okay. I, I buy that completely. Sure. Well, do you remember the big stink that came up you know, during the first Iraq war? We had never heard of camel spiders. Oh, my God. But that one picture that circulated just absolutely activated my imagination. Now we all know the facts, and I've seen one up close for real now. And, you know, they're not nearly that big, but I would be fucked out of my mind if I didn't know those existed and just came across one. Yeah, because fuck that. (laughs) I mean, they're not pretty looking. They're not friendly looking at all. Although, to me, they look more like giant ants than spiders. But, hey, they are what they are. And that just goes to show you that there are so many things out there that we have yet to discover. And what we just say, we're talking about the forests. We're talking about the ocean, the desert. You don't think about it, but there's tons of shit living out there in the desert that just has figured out a way to survive. And if it's a creature that's evolved to survive in the desert, yeah, it's a harsh fucking creature. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm talking about things that live in, you know, some remote cave in Peru or whatever that only lives in this one remote cave in Peru. Right. That never sees light. So it's completely translucent or, you know, whatever. You can make shit like that up and it still be accurate later. Like that's, Absolutely. That's a thing that could totally happen. And if you understood evolution and science and biology and just took into account the, the natural occurrences in any part of the world, you could probably come up with a creature that would fit there and maybe get reasonably close to something that we just haven't discovered. Yeah. Because things have to adapt to their surroundings. No one's ever actually, even the Mongolians who talk about the death worm, they've never actually seen a Mongolian death worm. They just talk about it. They just know it exists. Right. The way we know about unicorns or whatever. Right. But I could be not at all surprised if someday some, you know, largish, maybe not five feet long, but largish worm leechy sort of creature. Oh, absolutely. Crawled up out of the sand and ate a camel. Like, I okay, that <laughs> could I totally happen. Hey, I've seen tremors. I know what happened. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, as they always are. And if someone had any more information about cryptids or just wanted to talk to us about what we talked about on this episode, or maybe even suggest some others that we don't haven't heard of, how could they do that? Well, they can get in touch with me on Twitter at Lucky underscore 10K, or they can email us at Lucky 10,000, all spelled out, Lucky 10,000 at gmail.com. Excellent. And as always, we are on Stitcher and iTunes, and you can leave us a five-star review on either one or both of those platforms. And if we get one, we will read it on the air. Don't forget, we're also on Google Play. I don't know if they have a review system, but if they do, do that too. We'll read it out. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the best thing you can do for us is just talk to your friends about us. Word of mouth helps more than anything. And if you know someone that's like-minded and that you enjoy the show, that you know that they will, please, for the love of God, pass us on because we just want to entertain and inform as many people as possible. So if you like it, chances are your friends will like it too. And I think that's everything. So I've really enjoyed this discussion. I hope you guys learned something, and I hope you got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And... Visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.